So uh, running to our uh, industry-supported symposia um, about mechanically powered negative pressure. Uh, we'll introduce ourselves as we uh, get up here. My name is Dot Weir. I uh, hope I've met some of you. And um, I hail from Buffalo, New York. I practice at the uh, Catholic Health System uh, Advanced Wound Healing Centers, a um, couple of different ones. One's in Cheektowaga, New York, and one is in Lewiston, New York. So we're very happy to be here. We, uh, these are our disclosures. And we want to, uh, to acknowledge and thank uh, KCI for uh, supporting our, our symposium this morning. These will be our, um, our, our objectives that we're going to go after and, and try to meet for you today. And one of the things that you'll want to wait for at the end, there's going to be a code. This is not part of the general sessions where you can see the code on your, um, on your app. So there will be a code that is, is projected. We'll leave it up for you at the end to be able to uh, get your credit for this. It's called an unlock code. So these are our, our objectives. You know, we're just going to look at mechanically powered negative pressure wound therapy if you've never seen it, uh, and look at a holistic approach and what kind of things this can do for our patients, recognizing the importance of using some sort of a wound therapy that's going to uh, you, limit somebody's ability to move and to mobilize, uh, can definitely impact their quality of life. So we'll be looking at all of that. And then we both have some of our favorite case studies with us. Oh, this is the evaluation code, but again, it will be um, uh, uh, up at the very end also. So let's get into talking about wound healing. You know, when we look at what we call a chronic wound, and, and Chris is going to talk later about the prognostic indicators and things that we tend to look for. But, you know, we, we tend to put this 30-day time limit on it. Is it really 30 days before a person really develops, uh, their wound becomes truly chronic? Well, I would submit to you that it's really more patient-driven. Certainly, time comes into play. If it's been there a long time, there's likely an increased bacterial load. As a result of the presence of the bacteria, you're going to have more proteases that are going to be there. And any time you, as you know, as you have a high level of proteases, they are indiscriminate. They're going to start breaking down anything protein. So that's going to include our growth factors, all of our other matrix proteins, cell surface receptors to receive signaling, as as well as our receptors such as integrins that allow the cell to interact with its environment. It results in prolonged inflammation, so that's what we seem to hear so much, that these wounds are being stuck in a chronically inflamed state. Cells sitting on the surface are now bathed in this environment that don't kill them necessarily, but they certainly are not going to be as responsive, hence the reason we do a lot of the maintenance debridement that we do. And a lot of times it's just been they haven't had the right kind of treatment. Or as I joke sometimes, they listen to their mom. <laughs> Clean it out with peroxide. Let it breathe. Don't pick your scabs. You know, all these things that we know are not good for the wounds that we take care of. So it also, of course, can be patient-driven. These folks arrive to us with disease processes and comorbid conditions, an average of about 10 or 15 or 20, I think I just heard, that will give, put them in a position of uh, having something that's competing with the resources that they need to heal, such as uh, metabolic resources, such as oxygen, the person who has some sort of a pulmonary issue. If they're not breathing good oxygen, they're not perfusing good oxygen. Certainly different medications that they can be on can uh, interfere with, um, with wound repair. And some of the newer medic or older medications that are being used for newer indications, such as the TNF uh, um, inhibitor agents that are typically used for rheumatoid arthritis and now are used for Crohn's disease and other things. Um, certainly patients getting in their own way, uh, not adhering to our treatment program, not following their diet, the whole smoking issue, which, of course, we could spend a lot of time on, and then those people who we need to compress, we need to wrap, and how, uh, or offload with a diabetic shoe or uh, device. How many do you have come in and they, their compression wrap is off and you say, why, did you, why don't you have your compression off? Oh, I just took it off to come in here today. You know, or you look at their shoe. They live in western New York. It's muddy there right now as, as the snow is all melted and we've had a lot of rain. And it's perfectly clean. <laughs> that, nobody's shoes are clean in western New York right now. So, uh, so these things where, are where the patient certainly gets in their way and um, we have so much counseling to do. 
So when we look at the requirements for wound healing, this is something that we've all been schooled on. We know we need to get the wound clean through good debridement, manage to the bio-burden, uh, protection from contamination, as well as treatment to what we think might be there, along with the, uh, the threat of the biofilm that we're hearing so much about, and Greg Schultz and Randy Wolcott will be talking about, I think it's in session 44 tomorrow. Uh, managing to edema, uh, getting a good tissue balance, realizing that sometimes even if they don't have uh, venous insufficiency per se, they may still need some edema management, either uh, right around the wound or certainly on their lower extremity. And then, of course, managing to inflammation. So that's, I think, what negative pressure wound therapy will do for us a lot. It provides a lot of those things by promoting good granulation tissue, get, getting rid of the, um, the, the wound exudate that's harmful to the environment, taking away the waste off the surface of the wound, creating that nice balance of moisture, as well as promoting perfusion. And we'll talk about how that happens. But I would also say to you that I think, I think negative pressure has become a part of our routine care. I remember when it first came out, I was actually not working clinically at the time when it was launched, and I couldn't, one of the things I couldn't wait in 2001 when I went back into clinical practice, I couldn't wait to put my first negative pressure device on because I'd heard so much about it. But now we wouldn't try to really fill in a huge soft tissue defect without negative pressure unless there's some reason that we can't use it for a particular patient. For skin graft recipient sites, this was a patient who had probably the worst vasculitis that we had ever seen and had a uh, very, very large skin graft put on, and there should have been some things on the side, but this, he had a debridement, he had a split thickness skin graft, that was the skin grafted at about three or four days afterwards, and this is the grafted 11 days. We wouldn't see that kind of take without negative pressure wound therapy. So again, it's something that we, we use routinely. But there was still a gap as we looked at the patients that needed negative pressure wound therapy. People needed to work. People needed to get on with their lives. The mobility was a concern. You get a frail, older person who's going through rehab, and even though we have the newer, smaller devices that could rest on their shoulder, uh, it was still something that could cause them to lose their balance. So the person going through rehab... Uh, younger folks, people who are still going to school, such as the pilonidal cyst, things like that, where we wanted to use it for a large defect, but their, their lifestyle was going to be so negatively impacted. Even the person who wants to go to church, some of the larger devices, the portable ones, have a little bit of a sound that in a quiet area could be embarrassing to the patient. Um, but it's really going on with their life and being able to continue to go to work is a big driving factor. So there's a, this is not all one company. This is all various different companies. I just pulled them off the Internet that we know there's a lot of choices for negative pressure wound therapy. And, and for our inpatients, folks that are, don't need a lot of mobilization, then the larger devices are, are fine, even the ones that you know, we, they wear on their shoulder or they can wear um, as a fanny pack, if you will. So when we look at negative pressure wound therapy, it's been studied and used across all the care settings and in all wound types. It's in its third decade of use, so it's, it's commonplace, as I've said. So the many kinds that are available, what we're mostly used to are those that we plug in and have an electrical source or some sort of a battery, uh, battery-powered. And then what we're going to be talking more about today is one that uh, works on a mechanical um, force with using a spring that enables them to have it not have to have a battery and not have to have a, um, any source of electricity, which is important if you have someone who maybe does is homeless and uh, would still benefit from the negative pressure but doesn't have a source of power at all times. The interesting thing about all of these is that they have similar mechanisms of action. The most significant differences are in how they're used and uh, the instructions for use, which we'll talk about some. But the mechanism of action is so fun now to talk about the bells and the whistles that are, uh, we have with negative pressure wound therapy, but the actual mechanism of action is the same, and that's the use of an interface that is drawn in under suction, and a lot of times people think it's a drainage device, but it truly is a suction device. The secret sauce, the sweet spot, is in that suction that's being applied to the surface of the wound, the subatmospheric suction. So... We have the mechanical pulling in of the edges together, the macro deformation, and then we have the micro deformation, which is what is happening down at the interface of the, uh, of the interface dressing, most oftentimes a foam, and the wound bed itself. 
So let's look a little bit more closely at this. When we have the negative pressure bandage that's in place, the spun, is that showing? Oh, it's not showing up. Um, this, the foam uh, bandage that's in place, uh, if you just think about the cut edge of that foam, it has these little struts that are pushing down ultimately at the very last thing um, at the interface of the, of the tissues. Those little pieces of foam are pushing down in there. So the end result is that the cells are being stretched. And it's through that stretch that the cells have messengers that are sent into the intercellular space, and it causes that cell to, to uh, change its activity. And again, this is the integrin that's on the surface of that cell that senses that stretch in the first place. And so what you're looking at at the bottom are some biopsies that were taken where uh, it was the same wound, but the, the one on the left is where it was just like a film drape that was sitting on top of the surface versus the actual interface dressing of the foam. It's been highlighted with that blue line that didn't come along with the wound. Uh, but in this histology slide, what you see is where you had that interaction and the stretching and the um, micro deformation of those cells, you see a little bit more viable tissue, but we actually see an improvement in the vascularity. So what we saw happen is from, for negative pressure wound therapy to go from portable, uh, which we've had now for a long time since the early 2000s, to wearable, where it can be underneath the clothing in someone's pocket and not uh, sh uh, where it can show to the outside world. So the mechanically powered negative pressure wound therapy system has a cartridge um, that, that has a, is a collection port, if you will, but it doesn't have to have any kind of electrical or battery power. Its actual power source is a constant force spring that's made of a specific kind of metal, and as it unfolds or as it works like a plunger on a syringe and as it pulls back against the surface of the wound, it is actually uh, created so that there's either 125, 100, or 75 five millimeters of mercury, and so it's this slow pulling back or unfolding of this, of this um, coiled uh, metal that is generating the negative pressure against the tissues. So the majority of the little cartridges are a 60cc capacity. There are some that are higher, like 150. And so uh, there's no sound, there's no power, but there's also no alarm. So we have to have the patient educated on what to look for. So it's a visual indicator by a red line that tells the patient if they have lost their, uh, their seal or their cartridge has become full. The interface dressing is also a little different. If you haven't seen this, it is a hydrocolloid dressing, but a very thin proprietary hydrocolloid. And it's interesting in that, you know, we're used to being able to see the skin well underneath the film dressings that we use with most of our negative pressure wound therapy. But this hydrocolloid is very, very translucent, very thin, and you can really appreciate pretty well the, uh, the, uh, what the skin looks like underneath. It has an attached port on the surface of the dressing, and then it has a tubing that, this is a big plus, is that we can cut it to the length that we need it. It's not something that we have to coil up and tuck away somewhere, again, uh, with the ambulatory systems, which could, again, be a sort of a fall risk. So the anti-reflux valve is at the end, it can come off, we can cut the, trim the tubing to the length that we need, and then reattach that port. So the weight is another thing. It's very, very lightweight, 0.1 kilogram, and when it's full, it's just a, a couple of ounces. Uh, this one that's shown is 125 millimeters of mercury, but it does come in, in lower levels of negative pressure. And in our practice, we had used some of the others, but we pretty much settled on the 125 being, you know, something that pretty much works for all of our patients. The dressing is, is an open cell, uh, reticulated open cell foam, just like the negative pressure foams that we're used to using. The biggest difference is it's blue instead of black. So what is nice about that is you can appreciate color of the exudate uh, in the lighter color. The cartridge is disposable. After, when we change the dressing, if there's any, any uh, exudate in it, we generally just throw that cartridge away. And it... Um, it's sealed up, but there's a, a bio lock in it, so it's not a it's not a, a sloppy mess. It is, is gelatinous, it's uh, gelled up in the cartridge, so you can just send, uh, throw it away into the regular trash. Um, and it is a continuous therapy only. Now, if you are taking care of a wound where you feel like you need intermittent therapy, you will need to use one of the bigger devices. Um, and again, no audible alarm, just a red line at the base of the cartridge that lets somebody know that it's either full or that they have lost a seal. Being a hydrocolate, it's not like you can cut and 
you know, piecemeal little pieces of drape like we're sort of used to being able to do. And so uh, they, there's an extra part to this that is a, a secure ring that looks like a hydrocolloid ring like we use for, um, for uh, ostomy patients. And um, it's made of the same hydrocolloid as the dressing. And it really simplifies dressing applications because you do have to be careful as you put it on, and I'll get to this, uh, because if you get any wrinkles, again, it's not like you can cut a bunch of pieces of drape and seal those up. So this, this, uh, this ring has really made it easy to place it on, and I'll show you in the next slide, that if you, and, and you, if you have a larger wound or you need to change the shape of it, you can roll it into um, like a jelly roll or you can you know, make it larger. Um, but uh, when you put it around, and I don't have a, a pointer, um, as you can see on the bottom, we, we put, we've got the negative pressure in place. And as long as you have no wrinkles on the inside of that, oh, thank you. How do I use it? Oh, there we go. Um, Oh, okay, as long as you have no wrinkles right in here, all the wrinkles out here won't matter. So it really makes a difference. Uh, the hand is a pretty easy place to do, but where I find the utility is especially on the foot and any place that's curved, then you can fill in the, uh, the ring with nice flat dressing. And you, again, this points out how nice and translucent this hydrocolloid is. And then you don't have to worry about the wrinkles that are farther out around it. So the FDA indications for use are the same as the negative pressure that we use now. It's really going to now boil down to how big the wound is, how large the surface area is, as well as um, how much exudate is coming out. Um, so, uh, and it, so the indications, though, are, are the exact same as the negative pressure that we use now. So when we look at mechanical mechanically powered versus electrically powered. What are the differences? Well, electrically powered, you have very large canisters, depending on if it's the inpatient unit or one of the more mobile units. Um, so we can hold a lot of exudate. Exudate is really, to me, what drives the decision of being able to move over or not. With the uh, pressure options, you do have some lower options, but for the most part, 125 is the most commonly used cartridge. And as we know, with the electrically powered, we can alter that. Um, there's no programming. It's very easy to use. It's, it's, it's a quick um, application in the clinic or in the home setting. And um, uh, less bells and whistles to even have, although that's a big plus sometimes with some of the bigger units, it's something that we don't have to worry about with a smaller unit. Um, you can see 2.2 ounces empty versus the heavier ones. Again, my point about it possibly throwing off the uh, stability of the person who's walking and, again, requires no electricity. So as we decide, we're looking at size of wound generally, something that's 13 by 13 or smaller, although, you know, we're all very creative, and so uh, you can piecemeal a little extra hydrocolloid. Um, uh, there's all these little tricks that you learn, but as a general rule, if it's a massively large wound, we're going to choose uh, the larger devices until contraction takes place and we get that smaller. Wound drainage is about 180, uh, greater than 180 um, uh, milliliters per week, we're going to use something that's a lot larger. And then the additional considerations you can see, and I've really already uh, alluded to these, but it's really drainage and size of the wound. So the coverage criteria, it is a purchase for the supplier. In other words, the clinic that's using it, and I'm going to talk about some codes, is off the shelf. So if you decide today that you want to use negative pressure, you can pull it off the shelf and use it. We don't have to wait 30 days because it's not DME and is not rental. So if someone has a very high copay with their DME that may be used up or they have limited amount of DME coverage for a year's time, then it saves on using that part of their insurance. So there were some randomized controlled trials that were done. Uh, the company that had this mechanically powered device when it was first launched uh, was different than, than uh, KCI, who has it now. And um, they, they really stepped out and decided to take on the negative pressure that was the number one selling in the, in the United States. And so uh, they didn't go out, though, to, and I'll just summarize this, they didn't go out to show that they were better. They went out to show that it was delivering the same type of therapy as the negative pressure that we had gotten used to using. So the uh, study uh, we were in it in our clinic uh, was diabetic foot ulcers or lower extremity venous leg ulcers. And um, they were evaluated for 16 weeks or until they were completely closed. And the end result was that the, uh, they delivered the same therapy. The healing trajectory in the mechanically powered was the same as the powered. And then Bill Marston looked at this data and thought, wow, we've got 
We've got people with venous leg ulcers in this group, and that's not a patient we often think about for, for negative pressure wound therapy. And so he did a subset to look at those patients that had healed venous leg ulcers and found that there actually was a difference that many of the patients with the venous leg, in the venous leg ulcer group did, um, did heal faster. And in fact, 53% of those patients in the venous leg ulcer group achieved 50% wound closure, which Chris will talk about in just a few minutes, at 30 days as compared with about half of that with the power system. I tend to think it was the hydrocholate dressing played uh, a role in that, but I don't think that's really been described. So the other thing we did with the study is we talked to people about how do you like this thing, you know? And many of them had never had negative pressure before, so they didn't have a comparison. Those patients that we have that have had both obviously liked the smaller, quieter uh, device better. But anyway, what they did is they found that it was not noticeable in social situations, less noise. Um, I don't know if you have your picture of the patient with the pillow over his head. Do you have that in there? Anyway, you know, that, okay. There, but, and I just gave it away, didn't I? <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, that's what people complain of, not so much during their working day, but when they're trying to sleep or trying to go to church. So that's the person who's going to be disconnecting their power source, their power device, while they go into do that until they can get back to where that doesn't matter to them. Now, I'm not a coding specialist, but there are codes that can be used um, for use with, this, with the mechanically powered because it's not DME rental. And so the, the company has people that can work with you on this, but just suffice it to say, the two places that it can be used are in the outpatient clinic, and whoever's doing it has to take control over it. So the outpatient clinic has good codes that don't, they're, they're, they don't lose money on this, but they, they, they have to see the patient twice a week. That's the frequency of recommended change for the, the mechanically powered. So they will have to come back into the wound center. We can't do it um, this on Monday and then have, say, home health, even home health can use these codes. We can't have home health do it on the other day. One or the other has to be doing that billing. So they can still be done by home care, and then certainly we need to see them in the outpatient wound center, but one or the other has to be doing that billing. And again, there's lots of information that, um, that is available for that. So just a few of my cases, and then I'm going to turn it over to, um, to Chris. This was a lady who had a cat bite. I, I did most of this in Kissimmee, Florida, and we had a lot of people who came down as winter visitors. But this was a lady, I think this is one of them, uh, 87-year-old gal, who um, you can see her past medical history. Um, she had had a cat bite, which became infected, so she was admitted to the hospital, had IV antibiotics, and then she was changed to doxycycline at, at the time of discharge. So her initial picture is a deep uh, wound, tunneling wound uh, to her uh, lateral calf. It was debrided. We started collagenase and then we were packing a hypertonic gauze ribbon in to help pull the exudate out as it, uh, as it liquefied. So you can see when we go from the, uh, the initial to day zero when we started the uh, mechanically powered negative pressure, it was clean, but now that we got the negative pressure out, I mean, excuse me, now that we got the necrotic tissue out, we had about 1.1 1, uh, 1 .1 centimeter tunneling um, up, so we decided to use it on that. And uh, the, 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 the concern is still there. You have to be careful about really thin, skinny pieces. It is the reticulated open cell foam, so you have to use a durable enough piece if you're going to track it up into a closed area. So uh, this, her tunneling became a little bit le larger, but I think that has to do with reduction of edema in the area, but you can see it's nice and clean. This is at day seven. It is uh, much smaller. The tunneling is now down to just 0.5. And then we got to day 14 where she had no undermining at all. And then you can see we could barely even get the dressing on it. So uh, we stopped it at this time, switched her over to an ORC college and silver dressing, and then she went on to completely heal. This wasn't one of our winter visitors. So this next case is another one that we become concerned about, and that's anybody who has hardware uh, anytime. So we have an open wound over hardware. Of course, we're going to be concerned about it. So a 75-year-old lady who, I just want to make sure I'm not taking up his time, um, doesn't have really much of a contributory health history, did have a knee replacement, and she had an area of dehiscence um, over it. And it looks like the rest, looking at this, it looks like the rest of this case is, is not here. So uh, Chris was rearranging some things just for time, and so maybe we'll come back to her. But the bottom line is it was a very, very tiny wound, and you would have said, 
why would you use negative pressure on that? Well, the reason is, is because it was right over a knee joint, and so we want to make sure we're getting those wounds closed, obviously, as quickly as possible so that we don't um, have a bacteria, which we know will penetrate down into a few uh, millimeters of tissue down to her joint. But this was a fellow who was in our clinical trial. He has a diabetic foot ulcer, uh, no real past medical history other than some depression, but he wasn't a real good one. He had, you can see his A1C was 9.5, but he's already, he had had his fifth uh, toe reset, uh, uh, amputated, and he, uh, his fifth ray amputation, and then he was referred to us because of this open wound. So he was uninsured, so we uh, started him, and not, that wasn't the reason, but he was a perfect wound to put into the clinical trial, so we enrolled him. He had a washout period, so this is the first day of his application before and after the debridement. Um, the days are gone. No, there are. That, this is at two weeks. This is at four weeks, and he went on to complete healing. I'm not sure that was that. But anyway, this is a neck wound, cervical spine surgery. Uh, patient that had um, cervical myopathy. You can read the rest of his comorbidities. But he had a cervical laminectomy, and again, he's in a very vulnerable area up there in his uh, in his neck, and he. Um, uh, had a small wound dehiscence, uh, a diff, uh, not a difficult area, nice, easy place actually to uh, apply the negative pressure wound there, mechanically powered. So uh, he had a little bit of a one centimeter tunnel going up, and again, you don't have to pack it deeply, just like uh, we just put a little, I usually cut it like a little arrow, and, uh, and then uh, tuck up partly up into the, into the wound. So this is uh, the day that we started it. He had a .6 tunnel. And then at day 15, we were able to completely discontinue it, and he began collagen again, and he went on to complete closure. And, um, and again, uh, this is not Chris's fault. He just wasn't familiar with my cases. This is my diabetic foot guy who ultimately went on to heal. So I think this might be my last one. This is a, you know, this is a guy who's young, healthy, a 43-year-old guy, really had no other past medical history, but he had a surgical reconstruction of his first MTP joint, uh, and it had dehissed. So um, this is in the, his initial evaluation. Well, we were getting him cleaned up, so we began uh, pre- and post-debridement. I got him a little cleaned up, began to the negative pressure wound therapy. Um, this is at day 14, at day 31. And then at day 38, it was able to be stopped, went on to a collagen dressing, and he went on to completely close. And uh, okay, this is, uh, this, this is the lady with the uh, uh, knee replacement. And um, again, I, I, should, I should say that this is uh, not your typical patient because you can see where we started. We began the negative pressure here. And um, at this point in time, three weeks later, she was able to be closed, and then uh, we started a, an extracellular matrix product, and then she was closed in uh, a week. But again, our biggest fear, and why we put all this uh, uh, through all this at her, is of course the fact that she has a joint um, underneath there that we're, we're concerned with any kind of contamination. So uh, I think this is time for so anyway. Thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Chris. Sorry for a little bit disjointed, but we. Uh, uh, we uh, had to rearrange our slides a little bit. So Dot's a pro, so I, I didn't think she would mind if I, you know, mix things up for her. Just <laughs> make make it interesting. So um, good morning, everyone. I'm going to go back one slide because that's kind of a, a big question. But my name's Chris Barrett. I'm a podiatric surgeon by training. Uh, about 17 years ago, I decided to uh, jump into the wound care space. So. I started um, at a university hospital in Philly. Um, this is when hyperbaric oxygen therapy and wound care, that marriage started. Um, so I've been uh, in that space for the last 17 years. Right now I manage uh, a couple of outpatient wound clinics outside of Philadelphia, uh, work in and manage as well. And that's kind of what I've been doing uh, for 17 years. And it's kind of given me a, a unique perspective in terms of being able to manage patients and really kind of dive into um, wound care, the technologies, taking care of patients, using new technologies and, and trialing new technologies, and also having to manage the business part of it, because understand that an outpatient wound clinic is a business, and we all know, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the changes that have come and are coming, they're going to make operating in an outpatient wound clinic that much more difficult. Um, but I do, I kind of, I, I stress, you know, when, when I'm doing this presentation, you know, as I kind of come up, I've been doing, you know, promoting uh, this particular um, genre of negative pressure wound therapy, the mechanical disposable type, for many years, um, unfortunately not all the time with DOT, but we've, we've collaborated together several times. Um, 
And I always, every time I do this, I say, you know, am I presenting the most um, compelling information because I want to convey to you um, my, ex you know, just how excited I am using this product because of the results I get. And I'll show you some, uh, just a small number of my case studies. But, you know, what can I do, what can I say um, to get you engaged to use this product um, based on um, the outpatient wound clinic and reimbursement and outcomes? Um, and I think I've come, you know, every time I do this, I say, is there anything new? Uh, and there is something new, and it was, uh, of course, that was the one who kind of told me, you know, update your slide, because uh, she wrote the, the, the article. But um, so, you know, and, and this is what I come, I come up with. So, you know, why are we here? And I think if we're talking about, you know, this product, uh, I kind of look at it in two different directions. One is the patient, okay, and, and if we're going to talk about the patient, we have to talk about this group. So my good friend... Uh, Dr. Robert Snyder wrote a paper, the diabetic foot ulcer is a marker for death, okay, and it's absolutely true. Uh, most of you may uh, probably have seen this slide uh, in one way or another. I, I, I bring it up at the beginning of all my discussions because we have to, because we have to understand that, you know, that, again, that, that wound, that, that hole in the foot is attached to a patient, okay, so it's a holistic approach, but if we focus understanding that that wound uh, is a marker for death. That wound will take the life of that patient, and almost 50% of our diabetics succumb to that wound within five years. So the choices you make are profound. Okay, so that's the, the clinical aspect, and this is, you know, I'm going I'm to hopefully give you some information that says, you know, why it's so important, these patients you have to be aggressive with, uh, and why this product just really fits, uh, you know, this mechanical device, this negative pressure device that you can apply and get, you know, the, you know really quality outcomes in a short amount of time, why that's so key and so important. But the other part of it, and we have to talk about it uh, because, unfortunately, it's kind of stepped to the forefront, is the, uh, the, the, the financial side of it. Okay, so this was uh, published last year in Value and Health. It's, um, it was funded by the Alliance of Wound Care Stakeholders, so Dr. Carolyn Fife, Marcia Nusgaard. Um, and what they did was, for years, they've been kind of working with Medicare saying, you know, you really need to look at wounds, okay, and wound care because you're spending a lot of money there. I don't think you're realizing the impact and realizing um, just how much, how many resources we need. Uh, and, and they finally did. So they actually, you know, had the counting go and look at 2014 Medicare data. And what they found was pretty astounding. So they found that um, 8.2 million patients, over 8 million patients, had one type of, and they looked at all manner of wounds and complications, okay? So guaranteed, one of these, okay, you've either treated in the hospital or seen in the outpatient clinic, and they, when they added it all up, nearly 50% of Medicare beneficiaries had one of these complications, a wound or a wound infection, most prevalent being, you know, surgical. That's why there's so much attention placed on surgical infections and surgical site infections. It's, it's draining, okay, the, the, the health system. Believe me, the, the data is pretty compelling. Um, so surgical and diabetic wounds as expected. But look at the money being spent. Now, this is just Medicare in 2014. What they found was if you really add up, and it's a very, if you read the articles, you know, I, I can't get into the details, but they kind of tiered at looking at the money spent by physicians, inpatient, outpatient, and then everything kind of lumped together, DME. If you added up all, all together, it was approaching $100 billion treating this problem in 2014. If you had private payers in, I, I would bet you're over two, $200 billion. That's in one year for treating chronic wounds. So finally, you know, Medicare sees this, CMS sees this and says, you know, we, we have to start paying attention to this. But, you know, they, they, were, they were paying attention to this even years ago because remember what's happened. When I talk about um, payment policies changing and things getting much more difficult in the outpatient clinic, it's already happened. We saw the, the Novitas pre-cert program for HBO pretty much killed my program, killed programs across the country. There was a lot of abuse, a lot of waste, but now good patients who really need that therapy can't get it because Medicare had a cut okay, because it's all about cost savings. Reimbursement models, this is happening now, okay? We see these accountable care organizations. We're, we're, right now in this country, we have large health systems that are piloting this program for, for, for CMS. And I think what's coming down the pike, you're going to see in, on January 1 of next year, there's going to be a change in the way outpatient tissues are reimbursed. You're going to see changes eventually in the way outpatients or, you know, wound clinics, because that's where all the money's being spent and lost is in outpatient wound care. You're going to see reductions and cutting of services. It's going to be very, very difficult to survive in an outpatient clinic because you're going to need to get quality outcomes but provide value as well. That's, a, that's very difficult for definitely for a lot of physicians and a lot of clinicians who do wound care because they're used to using volume, product, 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 and profit. We have to get away from that. And that's why I bring this up. 
We have to talk about economics, and we have to talk about clinical outcomes. And if you marry them together, I think this product, this disposable negative pressure wound therapy, really is, is a wonderful, really kind of takes those, those two avenues and works well in both sides and to really give us quality outcomes and provide value. And I hope to, to kind of show you that using evidence. I think the most important thing we, we have to have is evidence. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this question again. How do we take wounds and prevent them from becoming stalled? Because you know what happens when, when they get stuck, when we're not doing the right thing, as time goes on, time is complications, and the complications are what put these patients in the hospital, readmissions, you know, costing money, okay, and then obviously the, pay, you know, the, the, the facility doesn't get paid because Medicare is trying to, re, you know, reduce that, that complication. But how about amputations? We know when a, when a diabetic loses their limb, you know, we're start talking about their, their, their lifespan now in, in three-year periods, okay? So the ultimate goal, again, is saving lives and healing wounds, but the cost. How do we, the longer the wound is open, more chance of complications, more resources spent. Okay, so there is a trajectory, as, as Dot talked about. We have we, there, is, there is a time period. Um, we have to be aggressive early on. So how do we do that? How do we, uh, you know, do we have a, a, a guide? Well, you know, if you look at good, you know, you can kind of look at good basic wound care and advanced wound therapies. And, and, you know, if we look on the left side, we have to get back to basics. This is kind of the, to me, I, I think we're, we oftentimes... We, we, we jump over here because this is where all the technology is, and this is really cool stuff. I love playing with all, a lot of toys here, you know, a lot of interesting product, trialing the newest technologies, but this is the basics. And, and if we do a good job with this, the, the goal is not to need this. because you know, and, and why don't we need it? Because it costs. Okay, it costs money. And there's, there's definitely a need for advanced products, and I'm going to show you the evidence when it points to a definite need for an advanced product. But I think if we, do, if we really concentrate here, I think a lot of our wounds where we're relying on these products because maybe they're profitable and maybe I, I don't know what else to use because I'm not quite sure what's going on with the wound. I think if we step back and, and really look at good basic wound care, good patient-centered, holistic type of wound care, which, uh, again, I talk, talked about some of the new evidence. Um, that's really what we have to incorporate into our, our, our wound care plan. Um, and, and I look at negative pressure wound therapy, and that kind of set this up for me when she said, it, it, it's not really special anymore. It really should become part of your good basic wound care. I like to put it over here, okay, because this is where negative, mechanical negative pressure wound therapy, you know, belongs, and this is where it, it really works in my clinic um, and where I get my outcomes is using it as first-line therapy. And why? Because we can use it day one. Um, and, again, I talked about the, the trajectory and, and being aggressive early on. This is, a, you know, I don't look at this as being aggressive, I look at some of our basic interventions as being aggressive. This kind of takes the, the basic aggressive interventions and really propels and moves the wound closure much more quickly because the goal, uh, the ultimate goal of all this is wound bed preparation. That's what we use mechanical negative pressure to do. That's what I use it for. If, you're gonna look, if you see my case studies, the goal is taking a stuck or stalled wound and with good basic wound care and, mechanic and negative pressure. I keep saying mechanical. We're talking about a disposable device, but negative pressure wound therapy, the benefits you get from that, that therapy, um, there's no other dressing that matches that. So I use, I use the disposable negative pressure wound therapy as my go-to dressing. Okay, because when I do my, my, my basic aggressive care and use negative pressure wound therapy and marriage that together with some other basic products that I know you have in your clinic, um, we get that wound bed prepared for closure because the goal is getting that wound closed as quickly as possible. So in 2003, some of the, you know, the experts in this area got together, came up with the idea of looking at this concept that existed since the late 90s by plastic surgeons used the concept of wound bed prep you know, for skin grafting. We want to get that wound prepped for closure with a skin graft. Well, these experts looked at that concept, which was uh, a little hazy, and, not, and, and really put a name to the barriers in, that they talked about in the concept of wound bed preparation. It came up with this, this uh, algorithm time, okay, this uh, mnemonic time. Tissue, infection, inflammation, moisture balance, and edge of the wound. These are the four areas, and I use this today. Is it still relevant? It's absolutely relevant, and I'm going to talk to you about a little bit about the update, but we look at necrotic non-viable tissue, infection and inflammation. This is, I'm not going to say bacteria, I'm going to say microbes, because now we have to look at fungi as well, but this is microbes and proteases together, okay? And that, that combination, to me, is really where, mechan well, where negative pressure wound therapy really has its greatest impact. We all know about how it manages um, 
um, moisture and certainly chronic wound fluid is really toxic to a wound so removing chronic wound fluid to a remote canister a remote con containment device is really ideal for me but then the edge of the wound so if we have you know callus the, 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 the typical diabetic neuropathic wound um, tunneling um, epiboly those are things that when I when I work with my physicians in the clinic I talk about when I say being aggressive don't wait Okay, packing and waiting for weeks at a time to, to see a change that isn't coming. Be aggressive and, and deal with the problem and use negative pressure wound therapy, again, to, to accelerate that wound bed preparation. Um, that's how I use it in the clinic, and hopefully the, the, the case studies will reflect that. This is what I talked about. So time, time has been in existence to, in, since 2003, and just recently, just uh, last month in Journal of Wound Care, um, and, and uh, Dot could give you more details on this because uh, she's one of the authors, but um, they updated time because really if you looked at the, the, the concept of time, it really was, it was um, wound-focused, okay, wound-centered, where, you know, we're, again, we're taking care of patients, so the concept of time was expanded to be more holistic, okay, to look at not just the wound, but also the patients, the patient's needs, and being able to reevaluate our progress. So the, um, the, the new update um, was just published, um, I, I encourage everyone to look at this because this is a tool. Time um, as a tool was the most common used uh, wound care tool in Europe. So I, I think, you know, again, I use it every day for my evaluation for my wounds. And I think, again, we have to look at the whole patient. But I'm still going to go back and focus on just the wound right now where time fit in. So here's our four, you know, the deficient areas. Um, and if you see the recommended interventions, you see debridement. Well, how important is debridement? Obviously, it's important enough that it's one of the primary recommendations for changing the environment and moving this you know, wound to closure. Um, I like looking at real-world data. So here's data right out of an EMR, 525 wound care clinics over a five-year period. We're talking about 312,000 wounds. What they were measuring was how the wounds were affected by frequency of debridement. So they looked at complete epithelial wound closure based on frequency of debridement. And here's what they found. For a diabetic foot ulcer, if you debrided the wound at least once a week, okay, at least once a week, 21 days to heal. And if you can heal diabetic foot ulcers in 21 days, you're killing it, okay? And that's obviously uh, the goal is time and closing that wound as quickly as possible. But look what happens when you add one more week. Think about your, your practice. Think about your clinic. Um, I know I think about it all the time when, my, when I see uh, on, on the EMR my physician says follow up in two weeks or follow up in three weeks. Just adding one more week extended the healing time by three, threefold. Time is money, okay, and, you, and, and time is what puts that patient back in, in the ED with the necrotizing infection. So that's a huge difference, okay, S you know, definitely significant. And then look at every time you add time to your debridement, it takes longer for the wound to heal. Why do you think that is? Well, we now know because we know what 90% of our wounds are affected by biofilm. And we know that biofilm, okay, biofilm bacteria, try to, they, tr they try to reform that biofilm, that protective coating, within 24 hours. And then within 72 hours, it's fully mature. So if you wait weeks to, to read the breed your wound, you have a mature biofilm. And we know how difficult they are to work to. to your topicals are ineffective against mature biofilm. Frequent debridement changes that environment. And again, it, it opens a window of opportunity when you debride and, and you expose biofilm bacteria. You have an opportunity to affect that with your antiseptics and your negative pressure wound therapy. Okay, and that's where time fits in. Frequent debridement, aggression early on, day one using negative pressure wound therapy, it will not allow that biofilm. There's good evidence that shows that the reticulated foam does not allow biofilm bacteria to, to reform the biofilm, the protective EPS. Okay, and that's kind of the, the really the goal here is, uh, again, to, to prevent biofilm from getting that wound stalled, which then, again, puts that wound into a chronic inflamed state. Time, money, and complications arise. What goes hand-in-hand hand with that? If you're seeing your patient more frequently to debride, then you're seeing them more frequently in the clinic. And look what happens to patients when they're seen more frequently. How about 60% of patients healed with the DFU if they were seen weekly by week four versus 2% if they were seen longer? How about your VLU? 52% of VLUs were healed at four weeks in this, in this clinic when they looked at EMR data if they were seen at least once a week. If you extended that out, zero. Okay, is that not between the debridement and the frequency, is that not compelling enough data um, to really kind of give you the idea that, you know, being aggressive early on makes a huge difference in your outcomes. So again, it, it really should change kind of our thought process when we know that we're, we're being evaluated for our spending, 
okay, and outcomes are going to be so important for our reimbursement. And now you have data that shows that you can get wounds healed faster if you are aggressive early on and you see these patients more frequently and intervene more frequently with the basics. Okay, we're not talking about anything advanced here. We're just talking about doing good, basic, holistic patient care, and you see the outcomes are superior, okay? We hold off on those advanced products only when we need to because they're costly. Four weeks. What's the deal with four weeks? Is, is there any point to using that as a baseline? Well, absolutely. So Peter Sheehan, okay, in his pivotal study in 2003, looking at the control patients in, in one of his studies, found that if the wound surface area, okay, in patients closed by 50% at four weeks, then over 50%, 50% in his case, went on to heal by 12 weeks. If you did not hit that pivotal target of 50% wound surface area closure by four weeks, only 9% healed at 12 weeks. 58% versus 9%. So four weeks is a pivotal, uh, a robust predictor of healing of diabetic foot ulcers, okay? So that's what, and why do you think all your LCDs use four weeks as your time period for moving to advanced care? Because we know that if your wound is not on this trajectory, that it's unlikely going to be healed in three months. Time is money, okay? I can tell you that you have to get your wound moving, your diabetic foot ulcer, your venous leg ulcer, but any wound, you have to see that trajectory moving within the first week to two weeks, okay? You cannot wait four weeks and then decide, well, things aren't working, maybe I should try a skin product, okay? You've, you're already behind, the, the, you're already behind your, your trajectory. Early on, day one, okay? And we can use mechanical negative pressure wound therapy on day one. And again, I talked to you about biofilm, simple products, adding them together day one, get that trajectory moving immediately. So here's our, here's our VLU and our DFU, the basics, right? Nothing special here. Doing the basic things that were taught, the guidelines are out there, they've been out there for decades, you know, managing bile burden, you know, good moisture, good moist wound healing, offloading. So, you know, we, we do a terrible job at this, okay? The, the data has shown us that uh, we need to do much better about this. And then VLU, these two, um, Carolyn Fife showed us that, you know, we do, uh, we don't do, as, as wound healing professionals, um, these are the basics and yet we're not doing them. And that's kind of why we're stuck with this, uh, these restrictions and reimbursement and the challenges we're going to have because when we're not doing the right things, we spend more, okay, and patients don't do as well. And, and that game is over. We have to do these basics. But if we do the basics, okay, and things aren't working at four weeks, then we're encouraged to use advanced products. So this is a good, this is a good guideline. There's certainly you know, robust evidence to show us that this is the way to do it. My, my thinking is let's not go here, okay? If we look at biofilm-based wound care and the step-down, step-up approach, um, Dot talked about Greg Schultz. Go, go listen to their, his, his, his new approach because the new approach is to affect biofilm and not need advanced products if you don't have to, to use them. So if we're aggressive early on with debridement, you know, testing for bacteria, biofilm-busting agents, um, offloading, doing the basics, that holistic care, the hope is we don't have to do this, okay? We don't have, because you don't want to be stuck at four weeks. Because if you're stuck at four weeks, you're already behind the trajectory, you're in trouble. And that better not be your norm. Okay, so in my, in my opinion, negative pressure wound therapy is just plays, so, this is Barrett's time principle because it belongs here, okay? Put in collagen here, okay? I'm going to show you where I, I marry um, negative pressure wound therapy, disposable for outpatients, with collagen, with frequent debridement, and your topical antiseptics, okay? Your topical antiseptics have no, no uh, effect on biofilm, but guess when you debride them and you, you, you know, disperse the, the bacteria, you can use an antiseptic, a little collagen, throw some negative pressure on it, and watch the wound trajectory change, okay? It's a very simple concept. I, I'm going to show you my case studies. I'm trying to get you engaged to, to think about using disposable, this, this ultra-portable, lightweight device like addressing and see better outcomes that way. All right, let's do cases. Where am I at here? Okay, we're doing well. So this was, uh, I remember this patient like yesterday. So she came to, she was referred by a plastic surgeon for a flap because what she had was she had right-sided um, uh, breast cancer. I think it was right, left side. Um, right side. So she had a, 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 a small pinhole leak 21 years later after radiation and lumpectomy. So there was concern for recurrence. So she goes to her surgeon. They do a biopsy, of course, and it's negative, thankfully negative, but you just created a wound in irradiated tissue. So what happens? Non-healing wound. It's ischemic tissue. So how do you change that? There's only one way. Okay, you can't do an angioplasty. We're talking about the axilla. You've got to do HBO therapy. So this is a perfect patient for HBO therapy. Plastic surgeon's not doing anything until he has perfusion. Then he's going to do the flap. She definitely didn't want the flap. So 
uh, this was a five-month period of healing this, this woman. We, this is not four weeks, 50%. Okay, radiation wounds don't follow that. So very difficult area, ischemic wounds. So we're not diving in day one with aggressive debridement and tissue products because we're, we're wasting money. Okay, what we're doing is wound bed preparation. We have to get perfusion so that the things I, we do on this patient will actually work. So first you may be asking, well, you know, you're, you're a DPM. What are you doing working? Uh, when these patients come in at HBO therapy, I take care of all their wounds under the, the, the guidance, okay, the guidance of, of the attending physician. So basically I say, I'm going to do this, and they go, sounds like a good plan, okay? As a wound specialist, I'm, my goal is to heal wounds, and, and I know products, know the interventions, I know the evidence. So this is kind of how I, how I work with my team. So this patient, when, when started, light debridement, collagen, just basic, holistic, patient-centered wound care until we started to get this happening. Now, this is, I'm using, unfortunately, when I took these pictures years ago, I wasn't thinking that an audience would ever be looking at them, so I don't have pictures of the, the negative pressure device on right now, but that's all I was using, collagen and, and disposable negative pressure. And this is what was happening. It was actually improving just like that. Why? Because if you do that, if you take a little, little curette and, and debride, you have perfusion restored. Okay, that's wound bed preparation. That's the goal. And, and now we know that if we added something to this, maybe some growth factors to kind of accelerate this process, we know that likely we're going to get a good effect because we've achieved good WBP. I got here because of negative pressure. Powered systems, not going to work in this case. Okay, moisture, movement, I was able to get it. Okay, now at this point, when I asked you about growth factors, I decided on cryopreserved skin. Okay, I like it because usually one or two applications is all you need to get your effect. And to me, that's value if you don't have to put seven or eight or ten uh, graphs on because uh, those days are, are pretty much over, should be. So there's, this is how I bolstered it. Okay, no other dressing is going to give you this bolster, um, but you're also getting the benefits of MPWT, plus you're, you're, you're getting that, that graft to kind of take on that wound. Um, and you're going to see, I flipped this around after I took the picture, but you could run this up inside the shirt. Nobody knows it's there. Is this, is this the poster child for the fall risk? I mean, this, 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 and she's got this. So you, you put the powered system here, you know, and, and you're asking for trouble. She's got the, the disposable device right there. Nobody sees it. Nobody hears it. Okay, it doesn't affect her, her ability to walk. But this is what it does. You put a little growth factor in there, and now we've got buds of granulation tissue. We've got epithelialization. And I added one piece of dehydrodamnion, and she went on to complete closure. Five months, but no surgery. Very, very happy patient. Uh, this is the, the, as Dot talked about, the different types of needs that these patients have. These are ambulatory patients with lives. This gentleman worked at a local Boeing plant. In a, in a, he's an HVAC guy, so builds helicopters. So he's up there. First off, understanding that he's in a military facility, so there's rules, right? So he sticks his arm up into a, a drop ceiling to fix something. He gets a bite on his forearm, a little pinch. Okay, didn't think anything of it, but two weeks later, he goes to the clinic at, the, at his place of work, and they said, you better go to a wound center because this doesn't look good. So... Again, I, I don't have all the pictures, but the picture I'm going to show you next. So he was sent for HBO, assuming the, the physician who saw him in the clinic uh, said probably likely a venomous bite. We didn't, we didn't have any insect to tell you. But when, he, when I saw him for HBO day one, I looked at this, and, and the physician who was the surgeon who was there that day I said, it looked like a zit that just needed ready to be popped, right? It looked like a massive infection, abscess, probably going to have to admit the patient, but it wasn't. When we opened this up on his forearm, it wasn't pus. It was toxin, okay? There was just serious, it, it was just a cavity that was just, it was tissue being destroyed down the muscle by the toxin, and we know anecdotally that HBO can, can nullify some of that, the effect of, the destructive effect of the toxin. So for a week, I packed them with a silver alginate, and then after that, sent them back. Now, he came in at 7 a.m., said, I'm not going on disability. Comes in at 7 a.m., goes home, or back to work at 9, never missed a day of work. So... This is how I, I put a uh, tubi grip, or you could put a spander grip, or any kind of compression stocking over this. I just put two layers and put the canister in between. Full axe, you know, he has full motion of his arm, goes back to work every day. This is literally three dressings, three applications later, a week and a half. Done. Completely prepared. You could do whatever you want with that. It's, it's going to close. Okay, I just kept going. At this point, I used it kind of as a protective dressing for him until he got it wet, but... This is how long it took, five weeks, 17 HBO days, five weeks, you know, probably seven, you know, disposable dressings, nothing else. I mean, cheap, and I can tell you we get lots of referrals from that because we don't, we don't waste their money. Venous leg ulcers, all day long. Number one ulcer you're going to see, yes, they don't all fit for, you know, a small disposable device, but many do, and this gentleman had uh, an epidermal grafting the week before, and as you can see, that was just a bad call all around. 
um, peri wound damage. Now, when I saw him, some of this had improved. This is when I was asked to come in. Okay, so Doc says, I work very well with him. He says, what do you think? You know, this is the problem. You've got all of this. Okay, if you put polyurethane drape, you know that's leaking. Okay, so we don't have to worry about that with a hydrocolloid. This is not pretty, so let's improve the condition of the granulation tissue with, I used an ECM collagen, put a non-adherent over it. There's our hydrocolloid covering all the wounds, nothing else that needed to be done, no ring, just, just the dressing. And the mainstay of VLU treatment is still compression. You don't stop compression. Okay, you, you do them both. Okay, and that's how we sent them home. And this is after three, three weeks, okay, four applications. To, so look at better granulation tissue, epithelialization. Look at that peri wound. Beautiful, right? So that, that's the beauty of using a hydrocolloid as your sealing agent. Uh, this was after... So after five dressings, we just stopped. At this point, it's, it's actively healing. You could put tissue on that, you know, a couple of grafts to, to kind of, or you can just good, good compression and, and moisture wound care. Um, but that's the goal. The goal is to, you know, I'm done. Okay, that's what I used it for to achieve this. And that's, you want to do that in the shortest amount of period. That's the, this is negative, this is disposable negative pressure all day long. So this is after nine weeks, he went on to closure. Uh, this is another cool case. So this was, I got this call on Friday afternoon at 5.30. So I'm looking at the phone, it's ringing, and I'm like, everybody's gone. Do I just let it go and wait till Monday? I picked it up, okay, which I often do. It's usually a mistake. But I picked it up this time. This was not a mistake. This was the, the hand surgeon calling and saying, you know, I'm, you could tell he was a little bit nervous. So he did a, a tenile suspension, okay, and it failed, infected, took it back to the operating room, redid it, which then dehissed again left him with a, he said, I have a small deep wound down to the, the tino, peritinon. He said, if that fails, she's going to have permanent dysfunction with their thumb. That's bad for him, bad for, for her. So he said, do you have any miracles, any, anything you can do for small deep wounds? And I'm thinking to myself, well, I absolutely do. So when the patient, I gave the call to the patient, brought her in Monday, and I told the doc who was going to see the patient. Um, I'm, I walked in, and I said, I already spoke to the surgeon. Here's the idea. What do you think? And of course, they said, yeah, sounds like a great plan. So there's your wound, small, deep, down, covered by some tissue over the tendon. But, you know, we need to close this because time is not on her side, and she has a spica brace that she needs to wear. So how are you going to get this thing closed, that depth, as fast as possible? You know, neg the, the powered systems, very bulky for that little area. It's going to be, a, a, you know, just a, a, too much material, too much waste. I want day one. I want to do it today so that patient gets the disposable negative pressure with the ring, so I actually windowed this. There's a piece of hydrocarlate in here, and then I cut a little, little window and put two pieces of foam touching each other. Now, this is all you need. I mean, out here, this is your seal in a very small area. Now we're going to put the spike back on, two layers of tubi grip. We put it in between. This is, again, three dressings later, a week and a half. Done. Okay, I, you know, I looked at and I, I, I had to go by three, four times and go, I, I can't believe, you know, it's trying to, this is a few years ago, but, you know, it, it's, this is what it does. This is, you know, you've done. You've, your, your goal has been achieved. You know, moist, she got it wet, but just another week with some, with a little steroid peri wound, and she was completely closed. Traumatic leg wounds. Uh, so 83 years old and ladder. Okay, well, you put that together and you get a hematoma <laughs> and a big trauma wound and a cavity wound. I mean, that's, the, all day long we get these, these trauma wounds. Now, our ED, you know, looks at the outside, oh, it looks good you know, go to the wound clinic. What they're not looking at is what's underneath, which is typically hematoma. We always end up being the one evacuating them. This thing was massive. It tracked all the way up her, her fascial plane. So, you know, this, this is dying. So we resected some of this. Um, the surgeon actually packed it with hypochlorous acid for a month, okay, which maybe wouldn't have been my choice, but look what it looks like in a month. Whoop. Okay, we lost the picture. Anyway, it looked beautiful, trust me. So... Um, <laughs> But at that point, it had a little bit of a shell, a little bit of an overhang, a little undermining. Um, so I a custom whale dressing. You can see that you can customize your dressing based on the shape of the wound, cut the tubing to what we need. And this was three days later. Again, you didn't see day one, but uh, um, three days later, this was much deeper. Okay, so it closed down all this. And then I just add a little SIS, a little, a little collagen. And this was 10 days. That to that. Now, again, wound bed prep, whatever you want to do with that. Should work, right? Nice, clean, healthy. How about epidermal cells? And look at that. One month later, she's going to Disney the next day. She said, either way, I'm leaving. Well, she was healed. Uh, another chronic leg wound. This is, you know, if you look at the, this is the hard part. She's a type 2 diabetic, um, end-stage renal disease, dialysis, tough patient, got a leg ulcer from a boot rubbing. Um, good blood flow, thankfully, but she wants a transplant. Okay, so this is what it looked like day one. So physicians debriding, debriding. 
This is when I, it comes to me. This, see this slough? This is wonderful for NPWT because the, the sponge and the, the movement of fluid will loosen and soften this up better than any debriding agent and makes your debridement easier. Um, so I add a little bit of collagen for the proteases, a little, little ORC, and this is five dressings later. 18 days, nice and clean, ready for closure. How do you close that? No depth. How about some more epidermal cells? So hey, look at this. Eight days passed. 15 days epidermal, 49 days from the start of putting negative pressure wound therapy. Um, here's a TCC. I think it's the last one. You can put this under a TCC. If you're going to offload, do it the right way. Okay, so TCC, good pulses. He refused. Initial presentation said, I don't want it. 14 days later, still refusing. I don't want to be restricted. So on, on day 42, he, another podiatrist was seeing him. I was going to do the cast because he didn't do them yet. He was new. So finally, at this point, I said, let me have a little chat. Talk to him about the five-year mortality. I said, this is going to turn into osteo. You're going to end up losing your foot and your leg, and you, know, we're going to be, you may not be around here in three years. Okay, that's just the reality, I'm telling him. He chose to go with offloading at this point. So forecast, he was looking great. Look how nice that looks. But then it stalled there for two weeks. Just stalled, nothing else. I mean, cast, usually six, eight weeks, it's done. So what do you think this was? I mean, why is it stalled? It's not as, he's, he's got good blood flow, and he has no exostosis down here. So it can only be one thing that affects 90% of your chronic wounds. It just got stale. It got stalled from biofilm. There was just bacterial imbalance, bio burden. So I curetted the edge, the, our, our tissue nip curetted real aggressive. Now I'm adding collagen, negative pressure, okay, and the cast. And look what happens when eight days past that epithelialization. Affect the problem, be aggressive. And again, simple, simple things that are inexpensive. The negative pressure device is inexpensive. Collagen is inexpensive. That TCC costs $75. Inexpensive, but the effect you get is. So this is, you know, Dot talked about all of this in, in home care. We work as a team. What's coming, folks, is likely a, a bundled payment for outpatient wound care that home care has to use, the physician, the clinic. You've got to be able to get your wounds closed fast without spending the cash. And this little device in my, in my hands, in the hands of some of my physicians, it's, it's the way we get wound bed prep um, inexpensively and we get the outcomes because, again, time, okay, is so valuable. Okay, so don't try it on the worst. This was, this was actually dots, and I kept it because I love it. Don't be the physician that goes, you know, that goes, well, this, nothing else worked on this one. Let's try this. No, put it on a nice wound, you know, easy wound, get a good outcome, get it in your hands, and start, let it start to become part of your, your regular practice. Okay, thank you. Questions?